Before we get rolling, just a quick warning that this podcast does feature real uncensored conversations with real uncensored people, so some of the language may not be appreciated by all. Listener discretion is advised. Hello world, welcome to the somewhat overdue second episode of Living to Write. I'm Brian Landwehr and I'm a writer. If you're listening, maybe you are too, or maybe you'd like to be, or maybe you just like to hear writers talk about writing, which sounds a little crazy to me, but hey, you do you. Uh, In each episode, we talk with a successful writer about their methods, achievements, challenges, experiences, and advice for other writers. And I say we because I'm joined each episode by our producer, Bailey Patterson, who is also a writer. Hello, Bailey. Hey, Brian. I'm happy to be back. And uh, I got to say, you know, I'm I'm really excited about today's guest and, you know, especially because he's a fellow horror writer. Uh, I'm excited, too, uh, for that and all sorts of interesting reasons. Today's guest is Spider Dabrowski, an L.A.-based screenwriter who first found industry success when barely old enough to rent a car. He's got a unique voice and a knack for blending genres and creating memorable stories, and we're very fortunate to have him here with us today. He he actually wrote the horror western Teardrop. Uh, That was a Tubi streaming exclusive last year, so... uh, I think this will be a lot of fun, Brian. I agree, and I uh, read a bit about him rubbing elbows with some interesting industry people at a very young age, so that's not exactly a writing question, but uh, maybe I'll be able to sneak that in at some point. Anyway, let's get him in here and find out how and why he does what he does. Lights, camera, action. Hey, man. Hey, Spider, how are you? Good. Hey, guys. Hey. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Spider. Your history so far, well, you've got a lot of history for uh, someone your age uh, so far, which we find exciting and fascinating here. Uh, How did you get started writing? What what was the impetus for you? Well, it's funny because I got into like the whole creative thing by just like I would have like my handy cam and I was actually really interested when I was a kid and all the way through like the teenage years of videotaping and filming cars like expensive cars and then editing editing them into like montages and stuff and this whole thing actually like took off and I I was on the Jay Leno show when I was like 13. Well I was going to ask you about that I watched the clip of that today. Yeah and but it was I feel like that was my my the weird thing is that I kind of came into it from like just really loving the um, creative process of like filming stuff and then editing it, timing it to music and just trying to make like really cool, badass videos. Not really any, like there wasn't any stories to them. And then, and then I started messing around with like making short films, but it was still like, I didn't even really think about a screenplay. I just kind of was like grabbing my friends. You do that. You do that. You jump, you try to jump in the pool. You know, it was just like throw and really just a, a, a way to throw smoke bombs into people's yards was really the, the reason I would like <laughs> so you were you were creating visually interesting yeah. situations that sounded like fun to do and yeah you were excited about uh, it's a simple story but excited about telling even that story by cutting yeah. it together it just didn't involve a writing stage I didn't even think about it. And it's funny because my, my, my family, my parents are writers and I grew up in a household where they were writing and I hated the idea. I was like, I will never be a writer. That looks like the worst thing ever. You guys are at home all the time, like working on stories. And um, my parents were like, they had a very up and down career. They were doing well one year, then like five years. And we were like eating home every night. You can't go out to dinner anymore. Then it was like, we're back. Um, and so I went to school, um, thinking that I was going to do like, I don't know, like finance or I don't know anything, but, but be a writer. And I actually took one film class. I, I do owe this one woman. Her name was Sherry Steinkellner and she created cheer. She co-created cheers. Oh, and she was like a guest lecturer at this writing class at UC Santa Barbara. 
And it was, the class was like forced you to write like a like a TV pilot about and you had to like combine a fairy tale with like some modern thing. I don't remember what the assignment was, um, but it was kind of forced upon me. And I was like, Ugh. and then I remember actually doing it, really kind of enjoying it. And then she really get, had a great, strong reaction to, to my writing. And I think that kind of gave me the like, oh, actually, maybe I, I do like writing. And what I don't like is the writing that I've been doing at school, which is like, you know, essays and and that kind of stuff and i had associated the idea of being a screenwriter with writing prompts and you know footnotes and all that stuff and i was just like oh this is fun you mean i get to just like make up movie plots because i always love movies um you know usual suspects was my favorite film growing up and fight club and so Ooh, it's, and then club, once yeah. That, yeah once that happened there was just a light bulb went off and like i started writing while i was in college and then by the time like two years later i had like got signed by an agent, sold a movie, like just written five scripts. And I was like out of there and just like came back to LA and just all I did was go to Starbucks every day and write spec scripts one after the other, just pure passion. And like, you know, I got, I got a lot of interesting results and I learned a lot about writing and storytelling just from honestly, just having a great period of like six or seven years where I just was on a mission to like write every idea that came to my head whether big, massive sci-fi interstellar type scope or like low budget horror or teen comedy, I just would write one after the other, like a machine. And, um, and then I think that a lot of that work kind of just paid off in weird ways, you know, not in the way that a lot of people I expected. I expected, um, I, the, the first big script I wrote, like big budget, I got like 50 general meetings and I met with Spielberg's company, all these people. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to be fucking driving a Lamborghini by, by the end of the year. And none of those turned out. Then I went on three years of no work. I was delivering, delivering food for Uber Eats. And I was like totally humbled. I was like, Oh my God, like this industry is like so unpredictable. And then I got rerouted in my passion yet again for writing and making movies and, and like that, you know, just opportunities, they show up and then someone's like, Hey, you know, I'm wow. looking for so a, they, a horror they came western, to and then I had a script that I wrote five years prior, and I gave it to them, and then they, and and I got you an email like five drawer. days later with an offer on it, and it was just like, wow. it's just how wow. it goes down, you know? And that's why when I tell writers and people, I'm like, yo, like you just can't, you cannot predict which story of yours, it's not that you're not writing all the stories that are all good and well-written and, and interesting, it's that you can't predict what the industry and people are looking for in that moment in time. So if you write more stories, again, that you're somewhat, you have to have some passion into actually anyone's going to, who's going to write a script and finish it has some passion, sure. no matter what that genre. But if you have collected an arsenal of stories, you're just going to, you're going to, you're going to find that the universe just opens up for you in weird ways because it's like, oh, hey, I'm looking for this. And you're like, well, I actually have something. And, and that's to me where all of the best things that's happened to me as a writer have come totally out of nowhere, totally unplanned and totally with the projects that honestly, I never in a million years thought were going to be the ones like I, 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 there's other scripts that I thought for sure were going to like sell real fast. Couldn't get anyone to read. And then ones that like, when I wrote teardrop, I sent it to one producer I know. And he's like, horror Westerns are the worst genre you could possibly write. I guess this movie Jonah Hex had just come out and it like had literally cursed the idea of horror Western. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to shelf that one. And so that was exactly the project somebody was looking for in, you know, five years later or whatever. Wow. How many scripts do you suppose you had standing by at that point that you got asked about a, a horror Western? Like 23, maybe. Wow. Uh, that's and I, impressive. I'll, I'll think like 16, I'd say 16 of them I, are very, are very good. And then there's some that are just like, that I've co-written with people over the years are just like, they're not, they're not bad, but they're just like, you know, they're on the shelf versus and and, you know, I think you need to write a lot of scripts to also like get to those good ideas. And, and also it makes, it makes your craft better too. So like one of the things I learned by getting dropped into it, as many writers will learn is like, when someone buys a script, your job's not over. Your actually job can just get started when they're like, hey, we have notes for production. Then they get a director attached. You go on, you Zoom or you meet with the director, he or she has notes. Those notes can be big. They can be like, hey, 
we really love this scene with 150 extras, but we have a million and a half dollars, not 20 million. You know, what can you do here? And so a lot of your job also begins upon getting a, a deal, which is like, hey, now you have to actually ready the script for production, for the filmmakers, for cast that comes in. And um, and I actually really love doing that part. It's one of my favorites. But, um, you know, you're expected to deliver on the spot and uh, you just got to know your, you got to know your story. You got to know what you're doing. You got to still be willing to take risks on those phones because they're like, well, do you want to lose this director by telling him that that idea is like not quite what you're thinking? And then, you know, but can you find the compromise that, you know, satisfies the note, but keeps the story, you know, heartbeat alive. And so it's, it's a lot of collaboration um, once you're somewhere with your story, which is a very interesting part of the, the industry that nobody ever told me about, which was like, oh, I thought you just sell them and then like you're sitting on an island and like chill. <laughs> so, by the, so by the time Teardrop hit production in whatever units make sense, yeah. how, how would you... How different would you say it was at the point it got to production from the point you pulled it out of your drawer when they asked for something along those lines? Did it resemble uh, the original screenplay? It was, yeah, it was pretty close. I mean, um, I I really, really give a lot of credit to the director, Stephen R. Monroe. He had just such great notes and Tubi. And, and you know, I my thing is that every writer is afraid of notes because you're afraid you're afraid of those stories, the horror stories. But I, I was only given notes that honestly called me out on my areas of laziness, called me out on things where it's like, hey, can you do better here? Can you make the opening more interesting? And and every note that they gave really, it was like me still writing. So, you know what I mean? It's like it was allowing me to go back into the writing process of the story and be like, okay, what would I do differently now? Now that I've heard that and I'm like, actually, and then you know, I come up, I actually, the, the ending as is now was not the ending of the draft that sold. And the ending is so much better than the draft that I sold it with. And it only came from honestly having a bunch of conversations. And then when I started doing their notes, which were great, all of a sudden I had a massive problem with my original ending because it didn't make sense with the new notes. And then I was like sitting, I went on a walk and I was like, I don't think this ending works anymore. And then like this totally new ending hit me and I went in and I turned it in and I was like, I hope they like it. And then like, they're like, yeah, we're in production. We love it. And I was like, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, as a fellow horror writer, spider, I can tell you that yeah. that ending yeah. was, was awesome. It, it, it shocked me and it, it was great. Uh, so yeah. How was it working yep. with uh, uh, a director uh, in the, quite big sort of in the horror genre like like steven yeah uh it yeah that spit on i spit on your grave uh yeah, I so mean, he's got what, that cult film yeah yeah so what was the notes that he sort of gave you that that helped elevate that ending right um yeah you know it's funny and this is where i feel like a good collaboration comes from he he had no he liked the ending had no problem with it but his notes on on improving the character the Chris character which i will admit in my first draft was like he served the story he went through the plot but he was missing some sort of like characteristics you know what i mean it was like he was missing um he was almost like wandering through the story a little bit too much um and really we wanted to upplay the like is he haunted is he losing his mind kind of feeling and i really like those notes but in doing those notes and then changing some scenes like we also have to change for production based on location like hey we have we, you wrote this in a, a saloon, but we only have a, a liver state, but whatever, right? Um, in doing that, there was just the the ending that worked so well on the original draft just like became, it's hard to explain, but it like, to me, like a great script has all this connective material that makes it work. And it's like, if you pull out one thread, you can often destroy 50 other threads. And in making the draft way better, there were some elements of the old draft that only worked while they were in the old draft. And the and the ending almost all of a sudden became like very flat and just didn't have any impact. Um, and I was like looking around for a new opening and like I had this straw, you know, the straw character, you know, like woman in, in the street and that it becomes like a ghost kind of thing. 
And then I recognized that like, oh, why don't I make that this thing that that occurs through the script? So that's the all, everything to do with the straw people was not in the in the selling draft at all. Oh, interesting. And it just yeah. So it kind of came from just like, and, I, and it's honestly when I watch the film, it's like some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because it wasn't in the the script that sold at all. And um, I love the character then, Denver. <laughs> yeah, Denver. Yeah, character. everyone loves him. He's, yeah, he's, and, he's, and it's funny. Like, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. Oh, just you could. I think it was Quentin Tarantino that said sort of like, if you're not like stealing from or not stealing, but if you're not taking inspiration from other characters and yeah. other movies, like what sort of like, you know, then like, what's what's the point? Everybody does. So and I love that yeah. he, he reminded me so much of Lloyd in The Shining. Yeah. And I don't know if you took yeah. inspiration from him or not, but no, 100 percent. He was such a great the Shining's character. One of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was, yeah. The Shining is one of my favorite films, and 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 Steve and I we discussed it. We were like, yeah, we were all on board about that. Of like, hey, like we're certainly going to be paying some homage. There's a an element to the story that has the same, you know, similar feeling, um, but in such a different story and such a different genre to do horror western. Um, but yeah, that's great. Yeah, he that actor is so great. Um, great and, performance. And all, I mean, for me, it's was really fun it was really fun for me to just see characters that like just kind of existed on the page for so many years, like be embodied by actors. I mean, I, I, that's like one of my favorite parts is like watching dailies and just seeing stuff come together. And it's pretty, pretty awesome. Were you able to go on set? Um, no, I wasn't. Able, I think it was like right in the, like the, oh, weird was the part COVID, of the pandemic was it? or oh. something. So it was like, yeah, it happened with my other, my Christmas movie too. Like, unfortunately, because I've been dying to go to set, but it was just that like weird part where they were like, you know, there's all this insurance of getting people on set. So it was just like one of those things that was like, are we going to let, are we going to put through all this stuff for the writer? And they're like, eh. Yeah, if anyone's going to yeah. lose out, it's going to be the writer. And, and that's how <laughs> right. it is traditionally. Writers yeah. don't end up on sets. A good, always accept that going into the job. So there's a good chance that I don't, um, get to you know go on set and stuff but you know you get to you get to collaborate with people on the front end of the project which is really interesting because you get to you know you get people who are really excited about your pages and and it's an honor to actually have people who care enough about that story to turn it into something that's you know a moving motion picture um and it's just a, a really good time and you know it's very validating and for me that story was like you know, I wrote it and I wanted it to get made. And, you know, I just kind of moved on a long, a very long time ago had I moved on from that project ever getting made. So it's, uh, I think it's just a cool inspiration for anyone out there. Like there, nothing is ever shelved and no project was ever meaningless. You just don't understand the, the order of things, you know, of the way your, your career and your artistic journey is going to, you know, unfold. Well, you Starbucks trips paid off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you certainly of- made your own luck by by setting <laughs> yeah. yourself up with having all of those yeah. completed screenplays in a drawer. I imagine there's going to be plenty mm-hmm. of our listeners who are going to want to know whether you have trouble. It sounds like maybe you don't, which makes you um, uh, an outlier. But do you have trouble getting mm-hmm. motivated to sit down and actually uh, write the ideas you're having, or is that easy for you? No, no, I don't have I, I don't have that problem at all. To be honest, that is by far the easiest part is actually getting motivated, sitting and writing. Um, it's fact, it's so easy for me that I find that the hardest part is out is feeling like I've sometimes I'm out writing where I am at in my career where I can't get the projects going that I you know what I mean that I feel I'm ready for because I've written so many scripts and have all these things and it's like okay like you've done all this great writing and now you have to have the patience to let these opportunities unfold Um, but it's never just for me I just don't I don't know but again I also know what that feeling is in my opinion I have only a couple of times experienced writer's block or whatever. And it's only been ultimately from jumping into projects that I just didn't have enough passion for. And I was doing them for other reasons. Like, Oh, this is really in right now, like a biopic. And I try, you know, and I try to do it and just couldn't, 
couldn't stay, you know, stoked on it enough to to finish it. Sure, sure. I that that makes so complete sense. My to me. my philosophy is write. Yeah, if you write stuff that you really love, like you really want to tell, you just I think you're going to be summoned to that seat. And um, I mean it's a muscle too. So you know, but I don't know. That's just not been one of my you know one of those things I I feel. Like I don't have a lot of advice for writers who are having motivational problems. I'd say it's probably coming more from worry, worrying about results and and those kind of things. Like, oh, like I, I don't want to really start writing until I have an agent, until I have this, instead of just being, giving yourself permission to like be a writer right now. And I think I just feel a lot of these things are they're ultimately like almost identity issues, not not inability to write issues. Because everyone who wants to be a writer wants to write. They just they're having other things that are blocking them that usually isn't the story. That's my opinion, at least. Oh, I, that, that makes really good sense to me. The, the way you put it was, was story structure ever a challenge for you? I mean, obviously the details of, of perfecting the, a story are always a challenge, sure. but a lot yeah. of people have a lot of challenges with, uh, they've, They've got some great ideas for their story. They've got a setting and they've got some characters and they they uh, know some highlights and they have trouble weaving it all together into a coherent story. Was that ever a particular challenge for you or did you find that that came fairly naturally? No, that that was a challenge starting out and, and some on some projects still a challenge. Um, I, I find that I have the easiest time writing my opening and then I have a pretty easy time going from the opening to like the like what I'd call the inciting incident, but like effectively where the the premise comes into play, where it's like whatever my logline is by page thirty something, you're gonna see that logline start to come to life. Mm -hmm. And then I think the hardest thing is going from thirty to the climax, and from the climax, the ending, it's very easy for me. I usually come on my endings fast, and I sometimes in order to combat my the, the pacing weaving structure problems will write my opening scene then i'll write my ending like my climax all the way through my ending and then i'll try to connect my opening to my climax area ah interesting and do you 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 fairly consistently do that with your projects i've i've probably done that like four or five times um and it was very helpful I mean, the fastest script I ever wrote, I wrote a, a script. It's like this crazy, like contained sci-fi horror movie. And I wrote it in like eight days. And that's how I did it. It's it's a weird puzzle piece thing, but I kind of enjoy the being dropped into the, my own puzzle more than I enjoy sitting and outlining. I almost never outline scripts. Um, only when I have a writing job where they, they actually require, they, almost every writing job I've ever had required me to go through like three or four treatment phases. So I really don't like doing treatments if I don't have to. Makes sense. Makes sense. Like I'd be sitting and talking with you. We hang out. I'd be like, oh my God, I just came up with a great movie idea. And then I'd come up with an idea and then I could just probably write, you know, write it, write an opening that day. Like that's probably like seven or eight pages. And that's just how my brain works. And um, for other people I've met, you know, outlining has been really beneficial, but it's just not beneficial for me. Um, except it does help on the holiday movies because those have a lot of act breaks and things like that. Um, so those, it really helps, but I found for my genre films, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, help me. Well, I was just, uh, that's, that's a good segue because I was just going to ask, uh, how did you, uh, find yourself working on holiday movies? Well, the, um, the, uh, holiday movie, it's funny the the, the producer who, who, set up teardrop was my the first producer who gave me my first writing job right, right when i was out of college his name was ira pincus and um it, my first holiday movie was like this true story about this girl who found a family off craigslist it was called my one christmas wish and um the project was at this company called up tv which i think it's now doesn't produce anymore but maybe it's just like a, a channel or something okay um they were one of like Hallmark's competitors back in like 2014, 15 area. Um, and they had this property, this this actually this producer named Ronnie Clemmer. He had done a league of their own, he, you know, kind of a cool veteran producer. And um, they had spent all of their money on writers, guild writers, couldn't get a draft. They liked that, that the network would approve. 
And effectively, they were out of money for developing. And so they were like, we need a non-WGA writer. And um, this producer, Ira, gave me a shot at pitching. And uh, I remember, actually, it was very interesting because I, I, I often feel my entire writing career started in this weird moment. But um, they the treatment that they gave me was this like nine page like Bible about this girl's life, you know, because she was a real a real girl that they had done all this research. And yet this same treatment had not gotten greenlit from the student, you know, the production company. So clearly there was something about that treatment that wasn't working but the producers kind of just wanted me to like oh just give your own take on this and it was a chronological take on this girl from being a kid all the way to the present time where she finds a family for christmas off craigslist and i remember when i first read it i was like ah this treatment is just dense and boring you know not nothing nothing to say about the girl's life very touching life but you know from a creative standpoint and I just remember my gut instinct was like this chronological thing is just not working. But what I, I then I then I because it was my first opportunity ever, I was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to insult anyone. I don't know who's put time into this developing this, you know, the producers. Sure. But I'm also like, if I go and then I was like, if I go and just pitch my take, I get one chance on this one email. I'm like, if I make my treatment just a condensed, faster paced version of what they've done. I'm risking, I'm playing it safe because I know it's going to be not far off from what they want, but I'm also risking the ultimate risk, which is my instincts are telling me something else. And my instincts were like, make it all modern and just tell her story of as a child and her like traumatic, you know, story with her and her father and her orphan home. Do that in flashbacks. But this movie can't exist as a chronological movie. It needs to be a modern story of the girl now and finding a family and just telling her story just through little vignettes. And I just remember saying like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I just, you know, hit send. I submitted the one with a, a basically tearing apart their treatment and just having no, no, because they had seven pages devoted to her this age, 15 years old, this mm -hmm. right. And I, mine was just like, sounds like a documentary. The, yeah. It was like a documentary. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember turning it in and like, I was like, oh, here we go. Like, I'm going to blow my first thing. And then they just loved it and then gave it to network and they greenlit it. And then I was like writing like the next month. And um, it was just, it was just that fast. And then I was kind of thrown into the pressure cooker. Can you write a script? And I wrote a script in a month and, you know, they had some notes and, and little thing all of a sudden i mean that when i got to go to set they, i flew out to canada vancouver and, and got to be on set which was awesome um very cool but yeah it just kind of happened and you know i just think you have to trust those those deep down instincts and maybe sometimes they cost you jobs too but they also are going to be what takes you to where you need to go and so i i felt even with that teardrop you know when i turned in that ending that new ending i had that same moment because it was that weird moment where I'm like, they already like my ending. Why are you about to ruin the spider and give a new ending? What if you just like totally kill their interest, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, but this new ending is just so much better. Like, who am I if I don't like bring up the idea that can, is a way better idea? And so I, I was I, on this one. I was talking to my brother and we we're going around the block and talking. And I was just like, dude, I have this great ending. And I pitched it to him. And he's like, that's so good. And I'm like, but I'm afraid if I send them the ending and they don't like it it's like i've just you know i i could blow my entire opportunity by basically you know cutting something that everyone liked so i just think there's this element of risk taking that you kind of have to do and it's um it's scary in that way because you know we all work so hard for any opportunity but what what a what a you know i try to imagine myself as like what would i do if everything had worked out i would i would take the risk you know you would go for it if it's going to make the movie better you would go for it if it's going to make your your life better or whatever you would you would throw the dart and, and take the chance and so i mean those are the two moments and they they worked out and i'm sure there'll be times where i i'm talking to you guys on here and i i you know pitched it this way and i lost the job you know I, I i've blown some pitches from doing some crazy stuff but you just i think you gotta you gotta give it your 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 instincts you know well that makes a lot of sense to me and, and 
plus as a broad concept i mean if it's got to be a little hard to keep your own energy up and interest and belief in what you're doing if you aren't most of the time most doing the what time, you believe yep. in i it, it, it's it's got to make some artistic sense to you while still of course fitting in with the fact that show business has the word business in it yes and that's and that's you know and that's the nice balance but you know i just i i i i have to believe and for anyone out there it's like you have to trust your that gut instinct on what to write on when to try and hey you know i've thrown thousands and thousands and thousands of darts that just didn't happen i've had people attached to my script on my dream projects that you know couldn't get an agent to take it out just you know and you just keep going and you and you just give every opportunity you know if you can keep that curious youthful mindset which is like every project every opportunity you get just go in like it's your first one and and you know don't be afraid to fail and and don't be afraid to like embarrass yourself you know you're gonna you're gonna land upon that great golden moment that's gonna be like a big breakthrough moment for you and um and you'll you know and you'll just get a little bit more confident in your instincts every time and i think that's all all it really is wow that sounds like some fantastic advice uh thanks for putting it that way um so in pursuing whatever you're working on now do you mm -hmm. have a manager slash agent slash whomever or uh, are you going your own way on everything you know it's funny i haven't been able to i mean i don't maybe i just haven't met anyone i haven't met and i haven't really had an agent or a manager in like maybe four years um which is funny because most of the work i've gotten has been in the last couple of years all without one and um i uh it's not even out of like, I'm going my own way thing. I just haven't met anyone. And, and I, I've kind of feel like I try to demystify because I think a lot of writers and myself included believe that like you don't start your writing career until you have an agent or a manager. Oh, that's when it becomes real. Yeah. That's when it becomes legitimate yeah. and official. And, real. Um, and my entire career goes completely, you know, in opposition to that idea, even for myself. I remember when I was like, started I'm like i need to be signed by caa and i was at abrams and i was just like so i kind of had fallen sucker to the idea that i needed that to, to for anything to happen and i just again you will find the right person agent manager and if, even for me i'm telling myself that too you know i'll be completely honest like oh yeah there's i would there's reasons that i would want an agent and manager for obviously not giving them when you, when you when you get a good writing job and you don't have to give that 10 15% away that's pretty nice i'll tell you that <laughs> sure goes to uncle sam instead of your agent um but <laughs> you know you uh you want an agent or a manager that actually is going to fight for your your stories and and has some weight and um beyond that you know writers don't need to be afraid of making relationships with producers um you just need to like get your hands in everything. You know, I even tell myself, like if there are projects out there that I think are kick-ass scripts, like I'll go and fight for it as a producer or as a director, whatever, like be willing to do. Like if you see motion in a, something that you're excited about, hop on board in any capacity. Um, I try to like remind to not just identify myself as a writer in that way, because ultimately I'm a movie maker. And if I'm involved in a making of a movie that I think is an interesting story, it's like, that excites me. Sure, sure. Now, of course, uh, I mean, I hear a lot of great advice there. Of course, not everybody has the benefit of having the uh, broad variety of experiences that you've had. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know things about the production side and things like so. Not everybody is going to say, "Well, I'd be happy to hop on something as a director or producer." Uh, but, sure. but I do think that for our listeners the the nature of keeping that open mind is important it can open a lot more doors and the open mind doesn't need to be it, it it's more like if there's an opportunity in your life that you can add some value to it's worth giving it a shot my brother and i are making a movie right now and you know, we had savings, we got a little bit of money from some people and we had a lot of actors we've met over the years and resources, but you know, we're, we're doing that cause we love making movies and, and 
you know, we're hiring a lot of people who just like are new un- unknown people who just have passion. Like, Hey, you know, you wrote me an email. Here's your chance now. And you know, some people are step up and some people, Oh, I don't want to do that anymore. So, you know, it's that it's those, those windows in your, your thing that I think not saying come jump on my thing. I'm only, only saying seize opportunities when they come, even if they don't look the way you thought they would. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. And, and uh, I think not to get too broad and philosophical, I feel like there are a lot of people who think that life uh, applying for a job or what have you, that life is a series of tests and (laughs) while maybe they are, so they are inflection points, but they're not really tests the way you think of it. It, There's, there's not just one right answer. There's not just one way to get something done. Uh, uh, life really is, is a, a series of opportunities to meet people and learn a little bit about them and for them to learn a little about you and for it to create connections. And even if you're just going to apply for a job at the mall yep. and you think that you're just being tested, well, actually, it's not even that simple. That person has a need that they're trying to fill. They're not, they're not trying to ask you a bunch of gotcha questions. They just want to know if you're the person for their yep. needs. Um, and so in a way, I guess somebody could argue that that, uh, makes life a little more complicated than advertised, but I think it makes life a little simpler than advertised and, and not everybody is trying to find a reason to say no to you. No. Uh, most people you go to talk to about what have you, they are praying that they get to say yes to you because saying yes to you will solve a problem that they have. A, th- a thousand percent. And, and, you know, just going, you know, going into everything open mind. I, I, even me, you know, I've, I've blown opportunities before from basically just, you know, kind of being so stubborn, one track mind of like, Oh, I'm above that. Like I've, I've already done feature scripts and sold movies. Like I can't do that. And, and they were good opportunities. And that, you know, I, I learned to not do that, you know, to not prejudge anything. Cause the reason we're judging a lot of stuff is to kind of protect ourselves and, you know, it's just a, an open mind is going to be so good for you in so many ways, especially writers. You know, as a writer, you spend a lot of time by yourself behind your computer and to get out into the world in any capacity, you're going to, you're going to create motion and movement and kind of snowball into some really special things that you end up, may end up writing about, end up finding an entire, you know, move, new movie premise. You may meet someone who can produce your thing. You may find that you have other skills and gifts in your life that go and hand in hand with writing. And um, I guess I just don't think anyone should limit themselves. That makes great sense. And uh, doing all of those things all at once and having an open mind is superior to um, continuing to polish that one perfect project that you Mm -hmm. think is going to, as you were saying uh, start the chain of dominoes. And I'm saying this out loud mostly so that I'll all hear it. Yeah. Because I tend to be the person who is, uh, uh, you know, on page 73 and um, I keep polishing those 73 pages. And, and I know how dumb that is on so many levels. But, you know, it's a trap that I fall into. My first drafts, I like to write first drafts fast. My first drafts have some of the wo- most wooden cliche characters you'll ever read in a screenplay but it's just how i get my first drafts out is that my characters are just plot exposition all they do is move my plot along then i try to go back on rewrite and fill them in with fucking stuff but they're they're just like empty empty bodies just stick figures moving through and just vomiting out exposition that that makes sense of all the story you know it's quick and cheap and tells you if all the pieces yeah. fit together or not. Yeah, exactly. That's how I like to do it. And then I try to come up with different types of characters that would make this story work. Oh, should I have him do this? Should I, should he have this backstory? Should she have, you know, and, and then I, that's kind of how I make my characters, but I'll meet other people who go character first, but I'm, a, I'm very much a plot first person. So all of your, varied experiences so far have snowballed into getting you all the way to here where at a surprisingly young age for all the experiences you've had you are now working on are are, were you saying that you're actually into production on your own film i'm working on my own film now um 
my uh i had basically had made a black and white like no budget feature a few years ago and uh we got into a couple film festivals and this was like a dirt cheap i mean we shot this thing for five hundred dollars and like paramount technicolor basically gave me like a fifty thousand dollar sound mix for like free because i met wow at the lady over there and she loved what she was willing to watch the film and that's why i always tell people like you can you can get people out of passion if they watch it from the right frame to to come and help you and, and create with you if they like your story right and that's my my big thing is there's a lot of you know i almost choose on my own films to not work with people like if if my if someone doesn't really like the project and i can just tell I just don't really want to work with them, you know? And it's like, it's just comes down to like the people who are really passionate about your story are going to give it the extra mile. And that extra mile is going to be what makes a movie work or not work. Um, and the same way, like I, you know, I, I do people like I go on help people sets all the time. I help to people develop their scripts all the time, you know, just for like, Hey, and it's like, Oh, do you want to credit? I'm like, no, no, I'm making you calling you and talking to you for three hours about your script because I like you and I like what you're doing here and I want you to find a way to succeed with this project. But listen, you know what I mean? Listen to what I'm saying because I'm giving you this advice because I think there's a lot of potential here. And I think the people who listen to that stuff, and it's not about me saying it, it's about realizing that when people are taking the time to work with you, they care. They care about your story. So you should try to collaborate as much as you can in that capacity. Well, that's really admirable and generous of you, but also in line with what you've been saying, not entirely no. selfless. This is you making yeah. those connections you've yeah. been talking about. Yeah. I feel like we've talked a lot about you being prepared to jump into just about anything. So I've, I've got to pick up on what you were saying about genre there. What genres don't you feel are right for you? I think the, the the genres that scare me the most, and they might be out of scaredom or or, or boredom. I, I don't really know to be honest, but um, <laughs> I really have no interest in writing a drama. Hmm. Um, I like watching dramas. Sure. I don't have any interest in writing them. Um, I don't know why. It's like uh, I like the idea of some supernatural or phenomenon or some sort of thing happening in my story that creates this splinter where all the characters are dealing with something that's larger than life. That's just what I enjoy writing. You'd rather, you'd rather be taking some huge oversized dramatic, perhaps supernatural type of event and pulling it in and making it grounded instead of taking real life situations and trying to inflate them enough to get the drama that you need. The reverse, exactly, exactly, Matt. <laughs> I love the reverse part of that. So, so well said. That's 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 the joy I get in it. It's very interesting being a filmmaker in 2023, where there's so much content everywhere, and even on the internet. Like there was a time where you could make a film and put it on the internet, and there would be an audience for it. But now there's like so much content on the internet, so much content on Amazon, on Netflix. You know, it's very hard to make a movie without big talent that gets seen yeah that does that does make sense to me and that does sound like quite a challenge it also sounds like if anybody's going to figure out how to do it you're going to figure out how to do it uh i i, I mean that sincerely i thank I, you. I, I, I thank you i you are constantly making your own luck obviously so i, I think you'll yeah. get it worked out you mentioned yeah. um you mentioned uh kubrick there uh what's your yeah. favorite kubrick film you know i'm i'm one of those people who just happens to love eyes wide shut it's one of my one of my favorite films and then the shining and then i also really like there's this andre tarkovsky he did solaris stalker um andre rubelev uh sacrifice but if you can tell a story that's that is interesting and no matter how random, no matter how non sequitur and how much it floats around through time and space and, and loses logic and lose and confuses you, if it if you come out feeling something about what it was about, you have done what very rarely has ever been done in filmmaking and cinema. So if you do that just right, what you've accomplished then is leaving the audience confused in exactly the way you intended feeling exactly the way kind of short circuit uh short circuiting their brains into feeling the thing 
that you wanted them to feel, yep. but you're not necessarily getting them there through strict story. You're not. Yeah. You're a bit, he, he chose to abandon story for, um, like true emotional and cerebral, like cognition, the feeling. It sounds like, uh, the most relevant filmmaker doing that sort of today would be almost Ari Aster, yep. who did Hereditary and Midsummer. He does a lot of sort of what you're describing and, uh, especially in Midsummer. Yeah, and you'll just throw logic out of the way. You know who does it too? I really liked. Um, do you see the lighthouse? Yes, Robert yes. Eggers. Yes, he does that too. That's a perfect example of a modern film doing exactly what those old films do. Where you're like, what? What's up with the creature? This, and he just doesn't. He doesn't ever tell you. He doesn't tell you if 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 it's a hallucination, if it's just exists in the world, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's totally some weird movie about masculinity and weird stuff and and it's just all a blur and i i like it there's something um very timeless that when you make a movie like that that i think we'll be sitting around and talking about a movie like that much later because it'll stand the test of time in a way that some more conventional plots just don't that new movie bo is afraid which ari aster's doing is getting bombed on right now as i'm sure you've probably heard which i'm makes me even more excited to see it because you know 10 years from now it's probably you know people are going to be talking about this film and saying incredible things about it i think martin scorsese they had like a live q a last night at the lincoln theater and martin scorsese he said it's just genius filmmaking in aria and he's just one of like the there's just a genius filmmaker and if you're being praised by martin scorsese i mean you must be doing something right wow and I also, I mean, I'm a big Darren Aronofsky fan. He he kind of plays around with those those kind of crazy films. Yeah, he does, yeah. Well, I'm really excited by what I've heard you saying about your approach to story slash non-story on, you, on your feature project. So I know I'm putting the cart before the horse in asking this question, but any idea how long it'll be before we'll be able to enjoy your creation. So I think, um, I really feel, have a feeling that the editing time is not going to be that long. Um, and that ideally I'll, we'll have like a finished film in, in December, November. Oh, wow. Um, maybe earlier, but you know, we're on a mission and it's going to get done. And that's my thing. Same thing. I preach everyone. It's like, just don't have unfinished business. You know, like if there's a will, there's a way you can pull things off. Just be consistent, disciplined and like, bold courageous and good things will happen they just do i feel good things happen to people who are in motion on 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 something good thing to leave you guys with i remember um you guys ever heard of telos telos i can't say no i don't think so it was like one of these expressions that came from this like i don't know i think it was like the enlightenment era or something um i don't know if it was like john Locke. It was one of those guys i don't i don't remember which guy some some something in that thing my history is bad but the idea of telos is that there's like a collective consciousness that's like moving always moving towards something the universe and everything and matter and people were always moving towards something um and and that people are ultimately theological beings that we thrive when we are moving towards something whatever that is where we you know we we need some sort of north star in our lives and that North Star can change and grow and evolve, but we operate best when we are when we are moving in motion, not not on a treadmill, but like you know, not just being busy for the sake of being busy, but actually in motion towards something greater, something we believe, some passion we have or goal. And um, I just remember reading that and hearing about Telos and Teological, and I was like, man, isn't that true? Like, how good do I feel when I'm when I am in motion? In, in progress on on my dreams it's even better than the completing of the tasks it's even better than the finish line when you sell the script it was the journey writing the script and when you sell it you're just like wow i was meant to write that script and do all that stuff but that part is very short-lived and the process is very long so well that is beautiful and well said and i'm gonna have to go uh do some reading about <laughs> that is excellent spider uh, Thank you so much for all of your time talking with us. This has been fun. I found it genuinely inspirational, genuinely informative, and I will be first in line to uh, watch your film when it's completed. Cool. 
and I'll be behind Brian. You can stand next <laughs> to me. It's it's cool. Okay, I'll I'll stand next to cool. him. Cool. You guys rock. Thank you so much. Be in touch. All right. See you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. Later. Take care. Oh man, it was wasn't he great? It was it was so great to to talk to Spider. You know, I I knew he was such a a great writer, but I I had no idea uh, how much of a philosopher he is. Uh, yeah, I I feel like uh, it wouldn't have been a good use of his time, but I feel like I could have talked to him for another hour or two. Uh, really impressive, interesting guy. Uh, Big thanks to you, Spider Dabrowski, for giving us your time and sharing your stories and insight. Um, there is a guy who clearly knows who he is, what he's doing, and uh, and why. Uh, I'm distracted right now because I am feeling really <laughs> inspired to maybe go finish a screenplay or three. I feel you there. Yeah, really impressive. And... Uh... I'm looking forward to uh, to his independent film and, and whatever he ends up doing next. And and if anybody would like to uh, check out Spider's Horror Western that he wrote five years ago and ended up being able to sell, uh, it's on Tubi and it's uh, you can stream it for free. And that's uh, Teardrop, Tea. right? Teardrop, yes, yes. Okay, and the uh, Christmas movie we discussed is My One Christmas Wish, which is available on Roku Streaming, I believe. Awesome. Well, you know, let's do this again, uh, you know, since I already have our ge next guest lined up. Oh, perfect. Uh, let's uh, meet here again next month. I'll see you then. Looking forward to it. Perfect. In the meanwhile... Big thanks to Story Summit for making this podcast possible. To meet other writers, improve your writing, learn how to make a career of writing, or even take the writing career you already have to the next level, it sincerely doesn't get any better than the wonderful people at Story Summit. Please check them out at storysummit.us. Once again, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep writing and never give up on finding your audience, producer or publisher. You may hear a million no's, but all it takes is that one yes. I've been your host, Brian Landwehr. This episode produced by myself and Bailey Patterson in conjunction with David Paul Kirkpatrick, founder of Story Summit. I hope to be a writer myself someday. Thanks to Kenton Edward for original music.